created by the Rio Grande Oil Company. Welcome to the police calling all cars, attention all cars, broadcast 118. Be on the lookout for John Happel, described as small, thin, age 58, last seen in the vicinity of his home on Vernon Avenue. This man is wanted for questioning regarding the murder of his wife. That's all. It is obvious that the police of the most important cities and counties in the West would not be specifying Rio Grande Crash Gasoline exclusively for police cars and other emergency equipment, unless tests had conclusively proved that it was the fastest starting and most powerful gasoline that money could buy, as well as quickest on the getaway. You have all heard how Rio Grande's exclusive patented cracking process creates a gasoline that is recognized by petroleum experts as the very finest that can be produced. Now, listen to another refining advance perfected by Rio Grande. All cracked gasoline now goes through additional refining processes which extract all sluggish, slow-burning, lazy elements, leaving only concentrated energy. Now, Rio Grande Cracks offers a finer gasoline than ever before, which means the finest gasoline money can buy, yet it costs you no more to enjoy this police car performance. to present Chief James E. Davis of the Los Angeles Police Department. Chief Davis. Good evening, friends. The story you will hear tonight is an unusual one. In this case, the investigating officers were not faced with the usual type of killer, but with a man who, from all outside appearances, would be the last person in the world to suspect of murder. However, in this case, appearances were deceiving, as was proved when link after link was forged in the chain of evidence against him, until the final day when he broke down and confessed. The killer led the officers on a long, hard chase, but it proved again that although the criminal may elude capture for sometimes a week, sometimes a year, in the end, he is bound to be caught. sunny day in December, in a small bungalow court on Vernon Street in the southeast section of Los Angeles. Mrs. Rose Apple is busy hanging out the washing when her next door neighbor, Mrs. Alfred Wyatt, stops by on her way to work for a morning sun. Good morning, Mrs. Apple. A beautiful day to so close to Christmas, isn't it? It certainly is, Mrs. Wyatt. Now when I think of the cold and storms that we used to have back home at this time of year, I'm mighty glad I'm living in California. Mm -hmm. That's the way my husband and I feel about it, too. But sometimes when it gets kind of cold in the early morning and I start to complain, Alfred would look at me kind of funny and say, How'd you like to be back in Chicago right now where it's seven below? <laughs> that always makes me realize how little I really have to complain about. Yes, I guess that's right. Mm. Here comes your husband. Morning, Mr. Happel. 
and he's a fan with a ten dollar bill. He's a comer from a road big enough to talk a cop. From the teller in the bank where Rose Happel kept the savings account. Why, yes. Mr. Happel came into the bank and presented a check for $491.30, signed by his wife. It closed out her savings account, but the signature looked genuine enough. I gave him the cash without a question. A close inspection of the check in comparison with others, signed by Rose Happel, establishes it as a forgery. In the little shack where the trunk was found, detectives discovered a heavy iron bar used to murder the victim. Little by little, the facts poured a chain of evidence which points directly at John Happel. Without his whereabouts, no trace to be found. Then, on December 14th, two weeks after the murder, detectives take out the death bungalow, take a letter addressed to Happel from the postman, and turn it over to Captain Bradley. It is signed by a person named Meyer and mentioned certain business dealings. The letter is postmarked St. James, Missouri. Acting upon this clue, a wire is sent to the chief of police in St. Louis, requesting him to be on the lookout for Happel and giving him a complete description. And in St. Louis, the patrolman Emil Hopkins, reading the name in the police bulletin, recalls the fact that he knows a William Happel, John's brother, who lives in Maxwell, just outside of St. Louis. Suspecting that the wanted John Happel would get in touch with his brother, patrolman Emil Hopkins drives to Maxwell and for two days mingles with the inhabitants. Each his ears open for any bit of news of Happel. On the third day, his patience is watered while he is ordered in the general store. He overhears a couple of farmers state that their old friend John Apple has just taken the bus for Arnold. Hopkins intercepts the bus, arrests Apple, and takes him to headquarters in St. Louis. And there, surrounded by several members of the St. Louis Police Department, John Apple amazes his audience with his calm, dispassionate account of the brutal murder. Anyway, that morning we had a fight and... She ran me out of the house with the broom. Kept hitting me on the back with it. Told me to get out and not come back till I had a job. What did you do then? Oh, I went out and thought it over. Then that night I came home and as soon as I saw her, I decided I'd do what I'd said I'd do. So I got a piece of pipe. Where did you get the pipe? Out of the little shed and back where I kept a bunch of stuff. I used to sit out there and think in the daytime. It was the only place where I could get any peace. Anyway, I got the pipe, and when I walked in, she was sitting on the bed, taking off a stopping. So I just reached over and hit her on the head. Then what did you do? Well, I sat down and thought it over and decided I'd better put her somewhere. So I started the trunk I had in the house, and I dragged it in and put it in it. Didn't you feel badly about it? Killing Rose? No. She had it coming to us. If I had it to do over again, I wouldn't do any difference. She had it coming to her. Continuing in the tale, a little thin man makes a complete confession and seems gradually glad that he's going back to Los Angeles to face trial. Puzzled over his apparent desire to return to the authorities. McCarthy tries to question Happel about it, but receives only the information that he's glad the suspense is over, and that he wants to get back to California where it's gone. So on December 22nd, Deputy George Storm of the Los Angeles District Attorney's Office arrives in St. Louis, completes the legal procedure of expedition, and starts to trip back to Los Angeles with Happel in custody. Three days later, on Christmas, two women, 
Mrs. Minnesota, Mrs. Elise Reinhardt of St. Louis, drive out to the small farm near St. James, where their brother Henry Myers lives in lonely solitude. Each out of bed existence from the winds of summer. Arriving at the farm shortly before noon, the women sent a feeling of desertion about the ramshackle white house. Henry should have held the horn when I blew it on the back road there. He usually comes out to meet me. Maybe not well. I never did see how I live out here all night and not get sick. Oh, we'd better go in and see what's the matter. I feel queer inside of me. There's something wrong here. That's funny. I feel the same way. The dog. He's howling about something. Come on, Elise. Hurry. That hat is coming from running back somewhere. Here's the cat. Follow me. Henry. Henry. Where are you? No, no. That dog is out on the back porch. I'm going to look. I'll go with you. Well, that's exactly what's going to happen if you don't tell us the truth about this. 
because we know as well as you do that you killed Henry Myers. We've got letters written by him to your wife talking about the farm. All right, be quiet for a minute and I'll tell you. I can't stand people there to me. I'll tell you. That's more like it. Now, tell us about it. Well, Rose had tried to get him to move off the farm or pay some rent on it for a long time. He wouldn't do it. Said the farm wasn't worth anything and then he wouldn't get off it. So when I got back there, I... But I'd go and either get some money from him or drive him off. Did your wife own that farm? Yeah. All right. Go ahead. Well, I went out to the farm and told him who I was. And he began to tell me all about the trouble he had trying to make a living and all that. And I told him I didn't care. And all I wanted was some money or for him to clear out. So what happened? Well, he insisted that he couldn't pay anything and made me mad. I had stopped in a little town and bought a small rifle. I had it wrapped up in a package. So I we talked, he sat down on the we talked, he sat down on the we talked, he sat down on the bed, and I started to put the bed and I started to put the gun together. What did he do then? Nothing. Oh, he got a little gun and I said, Yes. I was going to make him get off the property with it. Didn't he try to stop you from putting the gun together? No. He just smiled at me and made me even madder. So I finished assembling the rifle and put a cartridge in it. And when he started to look at me, I pulled the trigger and he fell over backwards. There wasn't any noise or flush. He just fell down without saying anything. Tell me, Mr. Happel, just what did you think you were going to gain by shooting this man? Well, I suppose I figured on gaining anything. Only my wife had told him to get off, and now I was telling him to get off, and he wouldn't do it, and he made me mad. So I got him. On February 11, 1935, John Happel goes to trial before Superior Court Judge Charles W. Fritz, pleading not guilty by reason of insanity. But Doctors Edwin Waite and Benjamin Blank, after carefully reviewing the case and examining the accused man's mind, declare... I know the man undoubtedly has a twisted sense of precautions and a strange persecution complex. It is the belief of my associate, Dr. Blake, and myself, that Mr. Hubble is not suffering from any form of insanity. Few days after this damaging piece of testimony, days after this damaging piece of testimony, Deputy District Attorney Starman closes his summary with the word: "There can be no doubt about it. This man, John Hepburn, planned the murder of his wife carefully, knew exactly what he was going to do, and did it with willful intent to kill. He's a cunning, strange being, guilty beyond all doubt of first-degree murder." And on February 15th, 
latest story about this unusual murder case, see the latest issue of the Calling All Cars News, which your neighborhood independent Rio Grande dealer will gladly give anyone absolutely free of charge. While you're in his station, we hope you will fill up your tank with Rio Grande crap gasoline and see for yourself why it is specified for more police, fire, and emergency cars than any other brand. If you need oil, your Rio Grande dealer offers you the only 25-cent canned motor oil that's guaranteed to be free from wax and useless petroleum jelly. Sinclair Opaline motor oil for only 25 cents per quart can. This oil is guaranteed to give perfect lubrication at the highest or lowest temperatures where other oils break down. It is a fact that you actually do get greatest value for your money from your Rio Grande dealer. Crocs, gasoline, and Sinclair motor oils have made Rio Grande the fastest growing oil company in the West because they are such outstandingly superior values. Good night for the Rio Grande Oil Company.